If you're ever gonna preach, get all your friends on the front row. Not to encourage you, to mock you as you, there's nothing like it. Square that up. It's all right. I've, uh, I've always believed that there's two types of um, preachers, but I'm finding that there's three types. Uh, people say that you'll either preach from theory or you'll preach from experience and practice. You have theorists and practitioners, and I think uh, you need both, honestly. You need people who can get up confidently and say, it's not about what I've experienced, it's about what I know the Word of God to be, and it's true. And even if it's coming from a theory, it doesn't change the fact that what the Word of God says is true. And then you need practitioners, people who say, I know what the word of God says, and let me tell you how I've experienced that and lived that out. And um, I think there's a third kind of in the middle, and it's where we are this morning. There's those who are wrestling with the Lord uh, on some things, and you bring that. And so um, I've been wrestling with the Lord in a number of ways. I, the, what I wanna share today, I'm gonna preach a message called Childlike Hearts. And this is, a, Greg asked me, I guess it was last month's elders meeting, he said, hey, would you lead the devotional time? We, we wait on the Lord, we pray together, we open up the scriptures during our elders meetings and uh, I did the devotional and I think I got maybe three to four minutes in before I just started breaking down in tears in front of the entire leadership team, it's great. Uh, so Tom's ready to go if I can't make it through uh, today. I, I'm hoping to go for the full eight seconds on this bull before I get kicked off, but um, we'll see what happens. I. Uh, February, I preached a message in our Better Together series, and with that, there was this prophetic word that the Lord has uh, stirred in my heart, and he hasn't let it go yet, and a lot of what I wanna share today is uh, attached to that word. If you missed it, definitely would love for you to go back and listen to that full prophetic word. I think it has to do with our season as a church, but also where the nation is and where the big C church is globally. Uh, but the big idea behind it was I saw two, two faucets, this picture of these two spouts, and one was labeled power, the other was labeled pressure, and I just saw the water gushing out of both of them. And I felt like the Lord was saying, there's this change that's happening uh, in our nation, that we're going to see this, the Spirit of God poured out in such a significant power like we've never experienced before. And at the same time, we are going to experience a level of pressure like we've never experienced before. And that both are necessary and needed. And I, I, I say that because the key that the Lord was highlighting, in light of what is to come, what we need is we need intimacy with God. We need, if we're gonna deal with this pressure, this, this, this spout of pressure, we need intimacy as the ecclesia of one another, watching over one another, caring for one another. But if we want to experience the power of God poured out on all flesh, as we see in scripture in our day, it's going to require an intimacy with the spirit like we've never seen before. That includes not just those who are new to the faith and learning how to walk with God, those who have walked with God your entire life, several decades, a new level of intimacy must be developed, is what I feel like the Lord is saying. And so, so I say that to say last week I preached a message called Shame Off You, and, the, and for me I was pushing towards intimacy, this, this idea that shame and intimacy cannot occupy the same space. Uh, that in order to step into this walk and this deeper relationship with the Lord, you have to have dealt with, with shame. What was interesting is as I preached that message, about six or seven people came up to me after the, the service and said, man, that really spoke to me. I felt like that message was for me. Majority of them were Jesus followers who said, um, I know what the Bible says about shame. I know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I know it here, but I feel shame regularly. What good is a right theology in here if it hasn't impressed and been realized here? And so, so what, I'm, what I'm wrestling with, the reason I wanna preach a message called a childlike heart is I believe that there's people who have a right theology 
in the mind, but not a right theology in the heart. A heart is an experiential felt reality. To have a right theology in the mind is to learn, mature, and grow, which is a good thing. It's not wrong. But you'll never have a relationship and communion with God unless you have a theology of conviction here. People do not change because of what they know. They do not find transformation because of what they know. They change, they move, they take action because of how they feel. This is why storytelling, music, the arts are so incredibly important because they make us feel something on a deep level. We're not looking for data. We're not trying to explain it away. We just say, I know what I feel and I must move. And if we're to have intimacy with the Spirit of God, we must have a theology that is absolutely right here that helps us grow and mature. But I think in many ways, the mature among us, those who have walked with the Lord for a long time must unlearn some things because it's preventing you from having a childlike, as we said in worship, to have an open heart towards heaven. We, we live in a world, shame has been dealt with at the cross, and yet we live in a world where it's so broken and so difficult, like a film, a dust, a, a, a caked on mud, it can sit on our hearts and our souls. Unbelief can do the same thing. When it comes to intimacy with God, it's not that God is far away, God is very near, but if you live in this world long enough, you will bleed. And you'll begin to think things about yourself and you'll begin to believe things about yourself that are simply not true. And if they get into the heart, they're like a cancer and a poison. They infect the entire body. And so today I wanna talk about intimacy and I wanna talk about if, if, if last week was step one towards intimacy, let's deal with shame. Then step two is what does it take to have a, a childlike heart? Have, have you had any beliefs like those people that approached me last Sunday where they said, I know that shame has been dealt with. I know it here, but I still feel it in my life. Do you have any beliefs like that? Things that you know what the scriptures say, but they've not been realized in your own life. We just heard testimonies about healings and encounters of the Holy Spirit. Was there something in you that said, I know the Bible makes a case for it, but is it true? There's this veneer that has sat on the church for too many decades now, this, this uh, what I'm calling, and it could be right, it could be wrong, this functional atheism. This is what I'm wrestling with right now with the Lord. I know what the Bible says, enough to where I can actually teach it and communicate it pretty well. But if I take a step back and look at my life like an unbiased party, I look at certain aspects of my life and I go, that's functionally being like an atheist. There's parts of my life where I go, I know the Bible says God is my provider, but my savings account and my retirement fund is really where my peace is held. When, when, it's, when it's down, anxiety manifests. When it's up, I have peace. The Bible calls functional atheism idolatry. It's easy to know, I know God should be my provider. I know that he's where my help comes from and yet I feel in my heart like there's like a bunch of trucks that have toes hitches to these idols that are trying to be ripped down from my heart. I know what needs to be done but I'm still wrestling with this reality. I, I, I know that the Bible says that the purposes of God for my life and for your life, that he has a dream and a destiny and a purpose for you. I know that that's what the Bible says, that he is the one that directs your path, that he is the one who is like a, like a lamp that lights up the direction that you ought to go. I know that this is what the scripture says, and yet it's my 10-year plan that tells me, am I on track or not with that purpose? And if I don't feel like I'm on track, depression sits in. 
I know that the Bible says, and I know what God is doing, that he is the one that calls gifts out of my life. He is the one that develops the character. He is the one that develops the skills. He is the one that brings my spouse. He's the one that gives me the promotion in my career. He is the one that gives me the raise. He is the one that develops my life, that pushes me forward into the things that he's called me to be. And yet, I feel like my timeline is not being met and matched up with. And it causes me frustration and anger. I know that my children belong to the Lord. At best, I am a steward of their life. They are not mine. They are not some, some toy for me to control and, and shape the way I want it to. I know this to be true, that they belong to him and their futures belong to him. And yet it doesn't stop me from wanting to smother them into their future. <laughs> smother, S, comma, mother, smother. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just lost all the moms. I'm sorry, you're great, you're great. Smothering's wonderful. Hey, mom, you're probably watching. I know, I know that the Bible has plenty of things to say about my life and how I should experience life. And yet when my circumstances don't reflect it, something in my heart, I lose peace, I lose joy. What is that but a level of idolatry? It's to say, I, I know what the Bible says I just don't actually functionally live and operate like it's to be true. James said, faith without, without works is dead. And the reason you don't work in your life is because something in you says, if I do this, it's not gonna work. It's not gonna happen. So we choose inaction. Faith without works, he says, is dead. It's no faith at all. It can't just be up here. It has to be something here. I believe the Lord is calling us to a deeper level of intimacy, not just to have a right theology in the mind, but also in the heart. Uh, this verse has been sitting with me, again, for the last few weeks and in this elders meetings, Matthew 19, 13 to 14. Jesus is ministering and it says, one day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. It is debatable that the disciples could be considered the mature Christians, but they were the mature group at the time. They still had a lot to learn, but that was the mature Christians. And what they were doing is, they go, no, 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 Jesus cannot be bothered with these children right now. We're doing important work. And Jesus goes, unless you operate like a child, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Can I just tell you how that wrecks somebody who's grown up in the church and I've gotten really good at doing church. I've gotten really good at shaping messages. I've gotten really good about doing the right things. And what I'm hearing is, is unless you put some of that down, not to become childish, but to become childlike, you're never gonna experience the kingdom of God. We are calling for revival right now and we're seeing it in our midst. Miracles, signs and wonders are taking place and this thing is just beginning to brew. If you want revival though, it's going to require all of us. For some of us who are early on in the faith, putting down shame. For some of us who have been walking with the Lord, today is your message. I think it requires us to have an open heart. The Lord keeps saying to me, hey Tyler, this revival will not come because of sharpness of mind, it will become because of openness of heart. You're talking to the A-type personality. I, I have no problem finding myself in the scriptures. I'm the Pharisee and I'm the older brother and the prodigal son. 
I get that. I mean, it's like, do the right thing. Do the work of the father. Do the right thing. And then you see the, the prodigal son coming in and they're throwing him a party and you're like, what? I would have stoned some of the disciples because I'm going, they're not acting right. Just, you gotta be honest with who you are. Everybody's like, I think I'm like a David or an Elijah. I'm like, liar. <laughs> Let me tell you exactly who, you're not David. <laughs> not even close. Maybe like an extra one of his brothers, but not David. Uh, child, children have this ability to not have barriers on the circumstances of their life. They don't ask, what's the budget? They don't ask, does this fit the calendar? They don't ask, is this re real? They don't say, yeah, but the plan requires a unicorn. Where can we find one of those in such short notice? They don't, they just, their heart is open. The other thing about children is they have an inc incredible reliance on their parents. I, I've got a, a 10, year, uh, 10 week uh, old little girl and she has the cutest cry, which is awesome. But you gotta remember like not to like enjoy the cry. It's like she actually needs something. I'm just like, oh, look at this. She's crying out and you just wanna sit and watch. I'm like, no, you need to move. She cries. She cannot feed herself. She cannot change herself. She cannot move from room to room. She cries out with full expectation that mom and dad are gonna come. She will not be sustained. She will not survive unless when she cries, her mom comes ready to feed her. This is how the Lord is calling us to operate as a people in this day, with open hearts, eyes towards heaven, saying, God, I am not going to make it unless you sustain me. I know that's what the Bible says. I just don't think functionally I'm operating like that. And I'm wondering if there's other people who aren't operating like that as well. Something in us as we grow and we, we mature and we get older, we become stronger, we become more powerful, we become more comfortable, we become more confident. And I found that this can oftentimes, not a bad thing, but it can oftentimes be the enemy to having an open heart. One of the, the verses that I've been, I brought it to the elders meeting and it's just, it just felt like this is where I'm at. I'm trying to find this balance between heart and mind. It says this about David and his leadership. It says, David shepherded the people with integrity of heart, an open heart towards the Lord and towards people. And he also, with skillful hands, led them. He didn't say you should, ha should have a dull mind. He didn't say that you shouldn't have skillful hands. He didn't say that having gifting is bad to hold both of these things. The trick is, is how do you keep your hands filled with skill and at the same time, an open heart? I, I, I'll say it this way, and you can throw up the, the picture. This is what's been, uh, I've been kind of wrestling with the Lord in. I found this to be the case. When I started out, that sentiment at the top, God, if you don't come through, I'm dead. Anybody ever feel that? You've worked the deals, you figured things out, you're trying to, you're, no matter what I do, there's no way for me to solve this problem. God, if you do not move today, I am not going to make it. Anybody ever prayed that prayer? Yeah. Do, you, do you remember the time when you were praying that prayer and you didn't have any of the skills that you have, the experience? I'm talking to the young people in the room now, zero to 20 years old, all heart, no skills. And not, not, not because you've done anything wrong, because there's, no, there's not been any experience. What ends up happening in your 20s, what ends up happening, uh, you're all heart, and, and really, if I could give advice to the 20-year-olds in the room, this season of your life is about saying yes. Saying yes to every opportunity and every invitation that anybody will ever extend to you. You wanna know why? Because the invitations are so far and few between. Because nobody wants you on their team. Selah. <laughs> 
All my 20, all right, 20 years ago, he's like, he, he's talking about us. No, let me, let, let me explain it to you. I'm not dogging you. It's this feeling. When you go to the interview, you're sitting across from the guy interviewing it and he's looking at your resume. He goes, well, we're looking with somebody with a little bit more experience. I don't see that you have any experience on the team. And you're going, I know. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get a job <laughs> so I can gain some experience <laughs> so that when I come back to the table, people go, hey, you got some experience here. So you just say yes to everything because all you're trying to do is accumulate experience. You're like, would somebody invite me to do, hey, Tyler, you want to lead this thing? Yes. Tyler, you want to be on this team? Yes. Tyler, wanna... And after a decade of that, you begin to develop experience. And with experience and heart, people love young people with great hearts, great character. Great heart and experience, it gives birth to skill, which then you enter into your 30s with experience and skill. And 30s is all about learning how to say no. <laughs> because people invite you to join their groups and to do this thing. And hey, would you do that? And would you do this? Hey, would you be open to that? And you have to realize, I don't have this much time in my day, but they're seeing the skill that's been developed. And you go, that's valuable. Would you be on my team? I'd love your help on that. And so you have to learn how to say no and to set boundaries. Well, <laughs> got them 30-year-olds in the room. Here we go. They're like, I'm just a parent trying to get my baby to sleep. No, <laughs> no. no just like, just. all the 30-year-olds say yes and amen. That's what it is. What happens though, when now you've had experience and skill for a decade, you enter into your 40s and now you have influence. People are not just inviting you, but they're putting you in charge of things. They're calling you to lead divisions, departments, teams. They're going, you have skills that we need and we need you to instruct others to develop these skills. We need you to interview the 20 year olds and tell them they don't have enough experience to work here. <laughs> and so what's happening in this season is you are, you are now inspiring others to give their yes and no to your cause. You've gained influence, which is a good thing. But then what ends up happening after you hit those decades in the 40, you have, what happens when you have skill and influence over an extended period of time? Now you have power. Now you're demanding yeses and nos from people. Now, now you own the company or you're operating at an executive level. You're not just leading a team of leaders, you're leading a team of divisions. And the question that I have is in this process, do you still have heart? What I mean by heart is not, are you a heartless person filled with power? That's not what I mean. What I, maybe some of you are that. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. What I mean is, what I mean is, do you still wake up in the morning and go, God, unless you come and move, I'm not going to make it. I'm not even to 50 yet with a little bit of skill. And I don't know that I've prayed that prayer in a long time of God, unless you move today, I'm not going to make it. I know he's my provider, but functionally, Functionally, I don't know that I need him. I say he's my daily bread, but it's been a long time since I've needed a daily bread. For those who are going to see revival, it'll be for the children and those who have an open heart, who look to heaven like an infant girl calling for her mom, if you don't feed me, I'm not gonna make it. See, our circumstances in our life, the reason I believe that pressure is important is because pressure stirs passion. It causes us to go, unless God shows up, this is too much pressure, I'm overwhelmed. I would like us to get to a place where we don't need pressure in order to see God accurately and to treat him and have a relationship with him rightly. Right, yeah. I wanna turn to uh, Second Chronicles. We've got plenty of time, this is great. I don't say that often, here we go. 
2 Chronicles chapter 26. I wanna, I wanna look at the life of a king in, in Israel's history named King Uzziah. King uh, David, he's a descendant of, of David. David, who was described as a man after God's own heart, who had an open heart filled with integrity and was filled with skill. Just down the generations, we have King Uzziah. And just like David was a 16-year-old shepherd boy, King Uzziah is kind of thrust into the call and, and uh, anointed as a leader at a very early age. He becomes king at 16. I'm nervous. Like just, yeah. It's like this guy's gonna lead the nation. Oh, yeah, that's a, let's read about it. it. says this, Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. He was the one who rebuilt Elath and restored it to Judah uh, Judah, after Amaziah, rested with his ancestors. So uh, abruptly, King Uzziah's dad dies, and now he's thrust into a leadership role, all heart, no experience. He got past the interview, apparently. And he steps in, and it says this, Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. And this chapter is about that 52-year reign. And watch as the nation develops and that King Uzziah develops right along with it and what happens to King Uzziah as he grows strong. His mother's name was Je uh, Jecoliah. She was from Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. And just look at this. It says this. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. I just wanna just pause. King Uzziah has enough wits about him to go, I am in a space that I have never stepped into before. It is well beyond me. Greater men have failed in this reality because if you look at their history, you have good kings and bad kings. Greater men with more experience have done poorly in this space and I'm stepping in with no experience at 16 and what he decides to do, 20 year olds in the room, 20 somethings in the room, he humbles himself and he finds a spiritual father in Zechariah, one of the priests. And he says, teach me how to fear God. Teach me how to lead these people. And one of the best things that you can have at a young age, open heart, filled with humility, be teachable and coachable. That's for free, as Greg would say. I just saved a decade of a 20-year-old's life. It's amazing. <laughs> Nobody will hire me, and I'm so awesome. And there's the problem. No, it's just, I was 20. I'm, I'm just... He went to war against the Philistines. So just jumping into verse six, it says, he said, teach me how to lead these people. First step, oh, he's going to war. First, bold move. He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of Gath, Jabnam, uh, Jabne, and Ashdod. Then he rebuilt towns near Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabs. He lived in Gerbal and against the Munites. The Ammonites brought tributes to Uzziah, and hear this, and his fame spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. I love the fact that this 16-year-old kid goes, teach me how to fear God, and his first move was to take action against God's enemies. Humility is not the same as passivity. 
that when you have a calling on your life, you don't look at your experiences and your circumstances and go, well, I would do what God's called me to do, but I just don't know that I have it. If you heard the word of the Lord, take action against it. He goes and takes a bold move. And with humility, he, he wars against the enemies of God. And his gifting and strength grows. And from that, as I said in our little our circle here, his gifting and his strength grows. And with it comes power and fame. Let's read on. Verse nine, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate, at the valley gate, and at the angle of the wall, and he fortified them. He also built towers in the wilderness, and he dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working the fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile land, for he loved the soil. We just gotta, this man is a Renaissance man. Guys, farming land, he's working vineyards, he's doing agriculture, he's building towers, he's fortifying defenses. We'll keep reading and just listen to the titles that he has. He's running construction. This man is a man's man. He's got all the titles in the world and he's good at it. It's not like he's dabbling for hobby's sake. He is seeing the nation shaped and it's because the skill that is on him is profound. Uzziah had a well-trained army ready to go out by divisions according to their numbers as mustered by Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the royal officials. Hear this. The total number of family leaders over the fighting men was 2,600. That's just his staff. That's a CEO. And then listen to this. It says... Under their command was an army of 307,500 men trained for war. Just his staff was overseeing that. This guy goes from 16 to as he's growing and the years go on, he is developing and growing stronger and stronger and stronger and more powerful. And he is good at what he does. Uzziah provided shields and spears and helmets and coats of armor, bows and sling stones for the uh, entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers. We got an Elon Musk on our hands. Guys dropping Teslas on top of the towers, just being like, just shoot people as they're coming by. Just automatically, auto, auto defense. The guy is continually, the Lord is waking him up, giving him inventions of how he ought to operate. He's not just a king. He's not just a warrior and a general. He is continually, whatever he puts his hands to, he is good at what he does. His skillful hands are growing stronger. His mind is incredibly sharp. And on the corner of the defenses, so, um, so soldiers could shoot arrows, hur um, hurl large stones from the wall, and then hear this, his fame spread far and wide. Why did it spread far and wide? For he was greatly helped until. Why did his fame go far and wide? Because there was a heavenly father and he heard this young man's prayer for humility and said, teach me how to fear God and lead God's people. And God answered that prayer of humility. And he said, absolutely. And God answered it by making him strong. And he grew in his fame. He grew in his power because he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God, and he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Ezariah, so Zechariah the priest has, has died now. Ezariah is leading the, the, the priest. Ezariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in, and they confronted the king Uzziah and said, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord that is the priest's. 
the descendants of Aaron who have been consecrated to burn incense, leave the sanctuary for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord God. And listen to what happened to this 16 year old young man with an open heart. It says this, Uzziah who had a, had a censer of fire in his hand was ready to burn incense and he became angry and he raged against the priests. I have found this in my experience. I saw this on a meme on the internet. Only a narcissist becomes angry when you accuse them of doing definitely what they did. <laughs> only, only somebody who's lost all humility and you go, hey, you did this and this was wrong and they become angry at you. They call that gaslighting. They become angry at you because you had the audacity to say, that's not right, you shouldn't do that. Where did the kid go? We have this veneer on the church, not just, not just this church, I, I'm, I'm speaking to myself, the, the, global, the, the big C church, this, I know all the right answers, I'm doing all the right things, I have all the right gifting, we're doing the thing. But functionally, we're going through the motions. Where's, where's the open heart to the Lord? If we are going to see revival, it will not be because we have the maturest people in the room. It'll be because we have a people who believe that God is their provider and the sustainer of all things, the giver of all life, and he is the one that leads revival, and he is the one that calls men back to himself, and he is the one that woos souls to him, and he is the one that can save a man, not our gifting, not our ability. He is the one who holds all things together. He is the one that keeps your body healthy. He is the one that works miracles among us. It is not us. It says, as he was raging against the priests in their presence before the incense of the altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Azariah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that, they had, that he had leprosy on his forehead, so they hurried him out indeed. Uh, this is kind of funny. He himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. Now he's moving. Now he's listening. <laughs> King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had, uh, had charge over the palace and governed the people of the land in his stead. That's the story of King Uzziah. What, what, I'm, what I'm wrestling with is this space of, um, is, even this week is, is, is funny to me, the timing of it. I was supposed to preach this message next week. Uh, Greg and uh, Michelle were under the weather and Greg's like, hey, I'm not gonna be able to preach. I get that text uh, 4 30, 3 o'clock yesterday. So I've got like a 25% message figured out that I'm going to dial in in less than 24 hours. That text, when I was in my 20s, when I started preaching here in 2012, would have been the ultimate gut wrenching text. And I get the text and I didn't even flinch. It was, yeah, I'll get my Bible. I guess I'll do it. I just, I just immediately went to the motions. Nicole and I, when we, when we first got married, we, I was, we were single income, she was going to school, and our life was just, just survive. That was the goal, big missions. What's your, what's your vision word for the year? Survive. <laughs> Don't die, that would be, it would be the, and that was, and I said this to her a few years ago after we had now been married for over a decade. I said, do you remember the days in a single bedroom apartment where we had had like 
five or six frozen pizzas that week because that's what we had in the freezer. That's what we could afford. And we're like, I don't, like, we, we just need to get together and pray and figure out who, how the utility bill, bill is gonna get paid this month. And she goes, yeah, I remember that. I go, do you ever miss that? She goes, no. <laughs> and I was trying to put words to this idea. I go, I go, I just, I go, there was, I hated it. It was chaos. It was tears. I go, but I felt alive. And slowly but surely, the more powerful you become, the more comfortable you become, and the more confident you become. And you do this thing, just like Uzziah, he, he, he goes, oh, I'm gonna make a sacrifice to the Lord. There's no priests available. Oh, no need for me to wait. I see the torch there. I know what I'm doing. And he grabs the torch and he just assumes that he's gonna go through the motions and he can figure it out himself. Because that's how the rest of his life went. His gifting spoke to that reality. And we get to a place where we go, I see my gifting, I see the problem, and instead of inquiring of the Lord, Lord, what is your will? I just begin to assume the will of God for my life. Never once do I consider, I, I see the gifting, I see the problem. God, what should we do as a family about this? I just go, I've done this enough. I've walked the Lord enough. I know the nature of God enough. I know that this is what he would want me to do. Prayer life and study is all for communication and preaching. It's not for just devotion to the Lord. I wanna spend time with him. And I'm speaking from a standpoint of a, of a pastor, but I know in your career and in your life, are there moments where we're just doing functional stuff where we begin to assume on the Lord? As I already said, I believe that there is this season that we're in where we're going to see the power poured out and it's gonna come to people who have open hearts ready to receive, and I'm excited for it. I believe we're gonna experience some amazing things here. I also believe that there is going to be pressure, and that is not a negative word to the nation. It's not a judgment call on God. It's not going, man, Tyler's going dark all of a sudden. He, in 20s, he was light and chipper. Now he's getting real dark in his 30s. <laughs> it's not it. It's me going, I don't know of any other space, but when I feel pressure, passion stirs in me to seek the Lord. Psalms 34, we, we had a Friday night worship and Psalm 34 just kept coming to me. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He settled my fears. I want mature believers. I want you to be mature. I want you to be strong. I want you to be gifted, absolutely. But not at the expense that we stop seeking the Lord in his house. I'm gonna get through this, it'll be fine. There was a time when I was scared. I would call out to the Lord and he would hear my cries and he would be my fortress and he would be my refuge. He would be my great help in time of needs. And I believe that we should be mature sons and daughters filled with courage and not, not, not in fear and that we should face our fears, absolutely, but in facing our fears, the reason we don't fear is not because we're strong enough to face and the reason that we do not fear is because we know who stands behind us. Yeah. My confidence is in the Lord. I know this. I need to stop functioning that my confidence is in my strength and gifting because if I put my confidence here, I become comfortable. Functionally, functioning like someone who doesn't know the Lord. Our confidence rests in him. If we are to see revival, if we are to experience this power, the key is intimacy with 
our holy and heavenly Father. We must deal with our shame that's been dealt with at the cross to get it from here to in here. And we must approach the throne room of God with a childlike heart, with no barriers and in complete reliance of our heavenly Father. I got wrecked in one of our staff meetings because Greg read this prayer. We know, again, the mature believers, we know this prayer. I just wanna read it over us again as we close. I pray that when we wake up tomorrow, that we pray it with a fervor and a zeal and we believe it, not just that we know it's the right words to pray, but that we go, unless these words come true in my life, I'm not going to make it. The kingdom of heaven belongs to children who look up to heaven and go, my father who's in heaven, there is none like you. Holy is your name. You've given me the gift of free will, but like Jesus, not my will, your will be done. Let your will come, let your dominion reign. As it is in heaven, let it be on earth. And give me today my daily bread. I'm just, my prayer right now is I'm going, Lord, would you take me back to the place where all I had was what you gave, where your daily bread was more than enough. I'm not thinking about the 10-year plan. I'm not thinking about my agenda. I'm not thinking about my vision wall. I'm not thinking about what I need to accomplish before I die. I'm not thinking about my bucket list. What I am thinking about is I want a relationship with you. What good is it to know truth if I can't feel that truth and experience and realize that truth deep inside my bones? Lord, we do not make it without you. And so Lord, just, just as we see in so many revivals, we repent, we change our minds, we unlearn the things that have gotten in the way as barriers to approaching you. We, we unlearn and we change this, this idea that we don't need you, that we're not need, there's no need of dependence on you. We absolutely depend on you. Revival will not be touched by handmade instruments, hand-invented man, man instruments or tools. It will be because it was cut from heavenly stone like the boulder that Daniel saw in his vision. I saw this thing come and invade the world and it shook the world and it was Jesus. Only Jesus will have glory. Only Jesus will, will be the one who is magnified because only Jesus can bring revival into the hearts of men and women. It will not be touched by human hands. Not by power, not by might, but by your spirit. This is how we will, believe, this is how we will be as believers in this day and age. We approach you with a childlike heart. Holy Spirit, open up our hearts today to receive from you and remind us daily that you are the one who sustains all things, that we do not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from your mouth. In Jesus' name, amen.